0: The title of this evening's lecture is uh, has some
1: built-in ambiguity, uh, Emergences or Emergencies. Uh, we will find out more about what uh, that all means. And we're going to welcome Dr.
0: Carvalho back to the mic. Thank you so much. You. Uh, tonight I'm just bringing my long johns as a way of showing that we all bring some forms of knowledges and some forms of, of, of affections that are always with us, that might be a part of us and might not be a part of us, but it is the ways in which we have uh, brought, uh, uh, we were brought into this world. And then as we go and as we start to um, engage and be affected by others, then it is a, it is a time to um, to gain some knowledges, to, to be challenged by other people and to be... Empowered by them and be challenged to, to the core of our own beings. And, and then bringing traditions that now I have not to, not to uh, appropriate, but to go after, to become a part of it, to honor, to bless, and to be blessed, to affect, and to be affected. So this, this resource that I have are, are knowledges from various people from various places. Uh, that I want to be honored. And then, you see, the, um, as, as I told you, the, uh, <clears throat> some of the African religions, you make the head. And, and when you make the head, you make the head with, with, with leaves. And so I, I want to make my head not only with humans, but try to figure out that there are other people who are also part of me that I have to speak with and have them making my head and my heart and my body and constitute the, uh, the knowledge that I bring and shift and turn and change and dispossess me and possess me at the same time. So that's why I hope you will understand that and even though My Long John seems to be a little old. Uh, But we are going to watch this. To organize the processes of inventory, metamorphosis, and emergence, emergencies, we have always to consider crossing. We are always crossing and being crossed. Seeing ourselves as a part of a larger process of multiple belongings, ongoing symbiosis, and transformations, crossing is fundamentally about endless encounters. Brazilian philosopher Rafael Haddock Lobo said on a class (coughs) that crossing is the method, the hodos, of letting go in order to allow encounters to happen. Letting go In order to allow encounters to happen. So crossing is a way of paying attention. So tonight, dealing with the sense of this word emergencies, emergencies. So there are kind of three ways to understand that. The first, emergencies with an eye is that which arrives and shows us that something is wrong. It is the fever in our body that is telling us something is not going well. It is the sirens of the ambulances hush- rushing after people who are in danger of losing their lives. Second, emergencies without an eye, the eye, are forms of self organized life in nature that are always flourishing and destroying, working to renew themselves. And, and self-organizing themselves, to, to that we must pay close attention and patient attention. And third, the I in the brackets reminds us that we are a full part of whatever is happening where we are. The I is not about the I of the individuation in psychology or individualization of my own self, but instead a co-arising of me in and through other beings. The I can only emerge through a whole host of organisms who give us the condition of the possibilities for us and others to emerge and live. The I is never a story of an ego, because that is a fiction that you're too much used to. The I comes from a collective and can only be seen in relation. What is at stake here is the need to pay attention, and and, and that's why. I I propose the best way to pay attention is through rituals, because it gives us the pause to pay attention. Rituals are privileged ways of paying attention to emergencies and what is emerging. Rituals give us a new grammar of attention through a language of words and a grammar of the body. For some Christian traditions, rituals are a result or a final order of beliefs, an enactment of its Interpretations, uh, a kind of realization of faith. However, if we look at other people, like uh, uh, indigenous people and African knowledges, the, the enactment enactment of rituals is not a matter of fact of aftermath, but instead a way of creating and influencing worlds following those traditions, that one has to consider our rituals as well as fundamental practices and technologies of the self that help us engage with the inventory of our lives, the metamorphoses we must go through, and the ways we can respond to our crisis. At rituals, we are all crossing and being crossed. So, emergencies. Let's pause for a, a little Time here. Emergencies are life and death engagements. The most immediate and heightened degree of alertness about what, about what, and who is at stake. Emergencies begs for an ultimate and immediate attention. Liberation theologies call our attention to the extreme conditions of someone's living. When liberation theologies, for instance, call for the love of God for the least of these, it is a way of saying everybody will be attended, but first, the worst cases. Pope Francis has said that the church is like a field hospital that must care for the sick. So liberation theologies are are, are kind of like a triage in a hospital. They offer practical sustenance and support while forming new ways of thinking, support, action, and strategy for changes. The church has the task of holding the pain of people, of people and other kinds of people, and telling their story together through the theological discourse, creating a thread of listening and forms of belongings. Emergencies carry some form of despair, anxiety, fear, and, 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 and hunger. In Brazil, the situation is so alarming that children are... Hungry. So to pay attention to them. And, and, and kids are, are, are being abused sexually for a plate of rice. So it's the crying out of a desperation. Theology, if it is not a cry out of desperation, it is just something that we can just do because we are privileged. The world is sounding so many emergency alarms that our ears are filled with noise and pain, absurdus, becoming deaf. Every day there's a new cry, a worse than the other, attention, pay attention, here and there we are asked and, and exhausted with so many calls. Perhaps we must go from God have mercy Hear all these cries. Look at the world now, oh God, as we look at the world too. People say I'm, I'm kind of naive about the possibilities of the church, but I see, uh, and, perhaps, and yes, I am. Because I believe that this Christ can be heard by only communities of people, whatever community of people. And I believe the churches are this uh, uh, community that can affect some form, kind of change to the patch of land in which they are situated. But we must hear the emergency Christ first and listen to those who have crossed us. Through metamorphosis, we expand the ears so we can have different sounds that we can hear other kinds of cries that we never heard before. Like that woman that I told this afternoon that couldn't hear the cry of the plants before, but now he couldn't, he, she cannot do it because she doesn't have what it takes in her soul to hear those cries. Through met- metamorphosis, we expand those sounds. And then we start to hear a cry of the forest, a cry of the river. That we have never heard before. And now we can hear because they crossed us. And they are in us. They are part of us. Perhaps some of the emergencies of our times would be the language to abandon the language of liberalism, of rights of rights of to personal happiness, of universal love of greed and fend for yourself ways of living and instead organize life horizontally for all without hierarchies of power and dominance. Quit the idea that life is only about humans and that humans are the exceptional species among others. We are only one species among hundreds of thousands of species God created. But we are the custodians of the species as Tyson yung Porta would say. So seek fissures within the systems of totality to create alternative forms of living with the earth and prioritize that over development and technologies and inventions. And what are they for? And for whom? And in what ways? And for how long? Embrace contradictions and messiness. And perhaps you can accept that God cannot be contained by pristine symmetries, theologies, and ministries. That our rituals are and must contain belief and disbelief, knowledge and unknowing, our full contradictory selves fully there. Because only fascists want to think without contradictions. Solidarity is only possible beyond our comfort zone. And across species, embracing a diversity that goes beyond the pretense of multiculturalism, anchored in human, still anchored, all the multiculturalism is still anchored on human exceptionalism. Connect with God through each patch of land and other living beings. What my members have to do with the frogs, what my children have to do with the fishes and the worms and the mountains create other forms of circuits of affection from different ways of recognition perhaps moving away from hope and embracing courage because hope will not hold us during this time perhaps we need to abandon mission statements and 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 learn about lex natura the law of the land the the the, the that it will guide us and work within it, flowing with a sense of symbiotic relationality with the land, learn the patterns of the earth without fear of the unknown, and then the mission statements keep on changing every day. With the new knowledge of the land, you expand it. The Christian liturgy has been guided by the law of prayer and the law of belief, and also uh, the Lex Vivendi, which is the law of life. But our time now, it's another law. It is the law of natura, the law of nature, which is the way of having our faith oriented by the land. So that's why we need to listen for God's voice in the rivers, in the trees, in the patterns of our local places where we live. Perhaps if we do that, we can give body to the impossible. Emergencies. Emergencies and emergencies, both sounds, they're both sounds to be attentive to. Both are calling us to respond, to get crossed and untangled. While emergencies are in front of our eyes, emergencies, emergencies are forces of the land, coded with the knowledge most of us do not know. And we don't, because we don't live daily with the land. Emergencies are expectations already breathing within the systems, moving in latent forms until they bring forth that which alters the forms of life and new subjectivities that once were full alive and were shattered by the infinity of traces of our colonized histories. These emergencies never died and are still alive in the stories and knowledges of the people of the land, carrying the seeds of what we have always been. Those seeds that are still there are waiting to spring once again. Most emergencies are still to be realized in the knowledges we don't often go to learn, such as knowledges of the land. And again, as Tyson Yunka Porta calls us, we are the custodians of that. Thus, if emergencies are cries in our face, emergencies are perceptions of changes already latent in our ways of living. Emergencies are forms of self-organized life in nature. They're always flourishing and destroying, working to renew themselves. Emergencies are latent ways of dismantling totalities. The signs of a thousand forms of life in other thousand forms of world who live in different places in different ways. But emergencies are slow processes, shifting and turning old structures of knowing our languages. That's why it's so hard, because we are like this, right? We run, 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 run. We have patience for nothing. We don't have patience for pain. We don't have patience for relationships. We don't have patience for anything. Everything is just one breath of the other in accomplishment. Breathe, do, breathe, do, breathe, do. If you cannot breathe, do. As we slow down, as the only way to learn about the emergencies is to slow down. And that's when we start to engage with respect, slowness, contemplation. So we learn how we can walk in the land in which other organisms live in a very different pattern. If emergencies are quick ways of shifting our wardrobes, emergencies are about stripping those wardrobes apart and starting from the pajamas of our inventories so we can feel our way into the new ways of touching, and kissing, and walking, and tasting, and hearing, and redressing ourselves with other forms of sensuous knowledges. If emergencies are ways to pay attention to the fever that comes out of brutalism and totalities of our societies, emergencies are the ways to restore our deepest belongings. So we go from God have mercy to God give us strength to God we return to you. That's our itinerary. To enter into the forms of emergencies of the land, we must pace the way we live. and goes low. No wonder there's so many slow movements everywhere now to remind us that we've gone to a Point of crisis, and no wonder we are all ah, sick, and we are all having mental issues, and we are all hitting depression, and 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 other difficulties, and 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 panic attacks, and and that's the the diseases of our time. How do we slow down? We cannot even watch a whole movie now. We need series, right? Forty minutes. We cannot hear a, a full three minutes and a half song. We have to have thirty seconds TikTok. <laughs> Both emergencies and emergencies show us that the land is very, very slow, and if we do not have the capacity to linger, to stay put, to know all that we. That we have to live right now in the present, in this very moment, we never pay attention. But we get bored, right? We, we, we just cannot sit. When we rest, we have to do something. Oh, we have this free day. What are we going to do? Where are we going? I'm so glad I have this day off. I have so much to do. If you don't pay attention now to the little worm going slow, that's why we either have to become very old or very young to walk slow. With my son, when he was low, go slowly and stop at every single leaf. That is a wonder and stay there. Or walking with my nine-year-old mother, who stops at every flower and talks about it and remembers something. That is the way to know the land. Remember that text when Jacob was so afraid of Esau? that they said, let's go. And and Jacob said, well, go. Let me go after you because I will lead on slowly according to the pace of the cattle that are before me and according according to the pace of the children. Pace of the cattle or the pace of the children. Anything further than that, we're not gonna perceive it. See that's that's an inner structural change, right? Who can do that? Hmm. Especially even the supersonic pace. What are the signs that are emerging? You have to linger and see nothing. And I ask my, my students to linger with a plant. It's funny because at the beginning they get all mad because I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here. This thing doesn't talk to me. What do I do? And then, and then at the end, there is a relationality that happens there. Somewhat, somehow. Why again go to the indigenous people everywhere around the world? because they know how to walk in the pace of the land. They are the guardians of the forests. And if we have not eaten everything yet, it's because of indigenous people. The Anomami people in the Amazon forest have for ages enacted a ritual to hold the sky from falling. That's what they always have to do. Otherwise, this, the, the sky will fall. And science tells us now that carbons in the atmosphere will destroy the ozone protection and the sun will burn us. The Yanomamis knew this thousands of years ago. Because they know. They know how to hear the spirits of the forest, the Shapiris. They know when the forest is telling them, we are suffering. Sonia Guajajara, an indigenous woman leader in the forest, uh, Amazon Forest, she tells us this the transformation only comes from the work of a collective with political and eco- ecological awareness. We need courage to break with the neoliberalism in empathy and sensitivity to forest, to reforest the world, starting with the reforesting of our thoughts. So here's my challenge to you, my friends. How can you reforest your history? How can you reforest your theology? How can you reforest your liturgies? Antonio Bispo, a farmer, professor, and leader of the Quilombola community in Brazil called Saco Curtumi, says that the word development in Portuguese means something that you have to disentangle with, disentangle from. That is precisely what development is. It detaches you from that which you need to destroy in order to create something. And unless we get rid of this notion of development, I don't know where we're going to go. We keep on buying it, owning it, dominating it, and do whatever I want, because I need everything that I want. Guajajara and Antonio Bispo urge us to restore the way of Mother Nature. To develop is to continue the process of death. There's a deeper way to to relate to the land, Bispo tells us, which is a way it's called confluence. And he says, confluence is the law that governs the relationship of coexistence between the elements of nature and teaches us that not everything that joins mixes, that is, nothing is the same. As such, confluence also governs the process of mobilization, steaming from the pluralist thinking of polytheistic peoples. Ooh. Shouldn't have not brought him here, huh? Confluence as a way of gathering knowledges together. For example, he tells us this simple story that I could understand. A mango tree, right? Imagine a mango tree that to live needs the soil to give her the nutrients to be sustained. She needs worms, protozoa, rain, sun, and someone that had to care for it, or sometimes not even some, some human. When it is time, the mango tree gives its fruit and people and birds come eat. When the mangoes fall on the floor, the pigs and the cows, the raccoons and others come eat too. And their poop will be the fertilizer for the soil. So a mango tree is the confluence of several species and many forms of knowledges depending on each other to live together. That's what we need is not to say, I'm this, you're like that, I don't need you. But to find ways to restore our lost connections. Our lost connections with the earth, with the mango trees, with the spirits of the forest, and the spirit that walks on the streets too, that is confluence. So we must re-enchant our world again. The notion of self that is disentangled from the presence of spirits and energies and powers is also an illusion. We push them down. We have sealed our minds from those powers and forces. But so many people have not lost the enchantment, and we love to go talk to them and write about them because they have all this stuff. For us to be baptized, one has to participate in a catechumenate class, right? to learn about abstract ideas of what to believe. Once we are ready to rationalize everything, we are good to go, but we don't even know what the Holy Spirit is or or, or what it does. Very different from an African religion where your head is on the floor, it's on the ground. The whole body has to be touching the ground and leaves around your head, because you have to receive the knowledge of the rishas and the leaves, and so on and so forth, to allow the emergencies of the land. So what would that mean? If you were to teach a catechumen class in your church, what kind of uh, earth knowledge would you bring? Chan, chan, chan. <laughs> To allow the emergencies of the land to flourish and be protected and sustained, we need to have a more generous and expansive cosmology about the heart of other beings and other spirits. Historian, Brazilian historian Luis Antonio Simas and Luis Rufino define enchantment in this way. Enchantment is an expression that comes from the Latin encantare, The song that bewitches, intoxicates, creates other meanings for the world. Enchantment is an act of disobedience, transgression, invention, and reconnection, the affirmation of life. In short, the notion of enchantment brings us to the principle of integration between all forms that inhabit the biosphere. The integration between the visible and the invisible, materiality and the spirituality, and the connection and responsive, responsible relationship between different space, times, ancestrality. In the sense, enchantment circumvents and bewitches the logic that wants to apprehend life in a single mode and model almost always linked to productivity and utility senses here. Hence, enchantment is a pulse that that tears the human to transform it into an animal, wind, water hole, river rock, and grain of sand. The enchanting pluralizes being, decentralizes it, Evidencing it as something that will never be total, but ecological and unfinished. How do we enchant our faith and have it be more than a reasoning of principles to believe? The coming of the Holy Spirit is a way of living with the emergencies and emergencies of God with the land. To make our faith greener, we must rest it to the Holy Spirit as the material presence of God amongst us. Like the dove descending from heaven at the baptism of the Jewish Jesus. God is a bird, my friends. It's not a metaphor. We always preach as a metaphor. It's not. It is, it is a bird. Read your gospel. So yes, we serve an avian god. Call us pagans, please. God became flesh in Jesus and God became feathered in the Holy Spirit. As Mark Wallace says better, woven into the core grammar of Christian faith than is the belief in the Spirit as the animal face of God, even as Jesus is the human face of God. God and feathered in the dove gives us the prospect of an avian liturgio- liturgiography where the birds orient the landscape, transform our faith, and place multi-species at the heart of our worship services. Graham Harvey says, all that exists lives, and that which lives is God, life. Everywhere. When the birds sing, they're not singing their own songs, as I said to you, they're singing God's songs. They're singing our songs. Without non human species, we cannot know ourselves, much less God. Here's a possibility of a trinity. And you know, you can throw everything away that I say. Right? Just listen. Just get this and throw it away. If we understand that God has to do with the pluriverses, all the cosmologies. Jesus is the fullness of the humankind. And the Holy Spirit is the fullness of the animal, vegetable, and mineral land. I think we'd have a lot there. And start to have a connection that we never had. You remember Standing Rock? Remember that? I don't know if you followed that, but there was one, one moment when they were fighting for the land, and the buffaloes came to join them. Oh, you want to see it? It's fantastic. Just one minute them coming on treaty land. How do you feel in
1: your own land of your ancestors? How do you feel? I feel uh, disrespected. I feel hurt. You know, I feel this hurt that these guys won't never understand. You know, I try to tell them, but you know, the only reason why we're moving back is because they're armed, batons, tear gas, riot gear, weapons, rubber bullets. That's what it takes for them to push us back. So they we carry weapons just because off, they're, they're scared. What it's does scary. this land mean to you, this traditional land? This land means everything. Look at over there, all the buffalo. Look at all those buffalo. Look at all
0: The buffaloes could hear the cries of the indigenous people. The buffaloes could hear the cries of the indigenous people. See how connected they are?
1: The buffaloes know them. And the buffaloes went there to take care of them.
0: is what organizes life and gives us a way of living connected. Right? We do not own the land. We don't apply our human law to the land. Instead, we must follow the law
1: of the land.
0: We cannot follow lax natura, the law of nature, until the law of the land becomes the law of the land, the L O R E, which is a body of traditions and knowledges based on the land. And that lore of the land is something that we need. And we have plenty in the Christian tradition. From an indigenous perspective, the law of nature cannot be normalized because each patch of land has a different law. That consists of the ways in which each community engages, relates, and organizes themselves around that patch of land with their spirit, myth, and stories. That's what Tyson Yunkaporta Porta says. This has implications for the management of all systems, particularly social control systems. Community members like birds, fish, nods, need to operate autonomously under three or four basic rules, self-organizing within groups, spaces, and data sets to form complex learning communities. The patterns and innovations emerging from these ecosystems of practices are startling and transformative and cannot be designed or maintained by a single manager or external authority they cannot even be imagined outside of a community operating this way this is the perspective you need to be a custodian rather than an owner of lands communities are owner of knowledges it demands the relinquishing of artificial power and control, immersion, um, immersion into the astounding patterns of creation that only emerge through the free movement of all agents and elements within the system. The impacts, this impacts the way we are managed and governed. Pre-industrial cultures have worked within self-organizing systems for thousands of years to predict weather patterns, seasonal activities, and the dynamics of social groups. Then, imagine responses to these complexities in non-intrusive ways that maintain systemic balance. While interventions are possible from within these dynamic systems, they cannot be controlled from the outside. Systems are hierarchical, composed of equal parts interacting together. Imposing a hierarchical mode of top-down control can only destroy them. Health interventions can only be made by free agents within a complex system. Agents referred to in in chaos theory as strange attractors. And you all who had classes afternoon about chaos and perhaps strange attractors. How do we understand the self-organizing of the land? so that we can understand how to organize ourselves. There's, if we want to do that, there's a protocol that Junka Porta also says, sustainability agents have a few simple operating guidelines of network protocols or rules, if you like. Diversity, connect, interact, and, attack, and, and adapt. Diversity, connect, interact, and adapt. What if, what if you think your ministries around those four lines as a protocol? What would that mean for a ministerial work or living in any patch of land? But, my friends, again, our situation is so dramatic that even Yunka Porta. Is not much hopeful for the future generations, but he says this all we can do is to try to all we can do is to live something useful for the people that are coming next. And there is nothing, no infrastructures that can leave that that are not crumbling. There are not physical tools. There are no technologies that are not only temporary. The thing that lasts forever is story. If you can leave behind some intergenerational wisdom that contains fragments of what we understand about what it is to be humans and custodian species. But most importantly, cautionary tales. Stories. If we start our ministry paying attention to the land and then start to tell stories from what we see in relation, so worlds can live together. Stories is what the women have been telling us about for ages. Stories between unexpected organisms, symbiosis, who might live in closely. What would that be? Jesus' parables have some of that amazing combination too, like the parable of the sower, right? The seed, the soil, uh, the sower are all one environment. There are rocks there and vegetation and birds and the sun. Jesus was telling stories. As we it now we can add fungi, mycelium, and so on and so forth. Anna Singh shows us how to tell a story of humankind from the point of view of mushrooms. Fantastic book, The Mushrooms at the End of the World. She tells the story of us from the mushrooms. <laughs> it's a fantastic thing. Donna Haraway Tells us about string figures that starts with S. The string figures are to tell a story. She says we need science fact, science fiction, speculative fabulation. That's we really good, you're theologians. Speculative fabulation, speculative feminism, and so far. <laughs> String figures are like stories, you said. They propose and enact patterns for participants to inhabit somehow on a vulnerable and wounded earth. My multi-species story- storytelling is about recuperation in complex stories that are as full of dying as living. As full of endings, even genocides as beginning. For her... It matters what matters we use to think about other matters with. It matters what stories we tell to tell other stories with. It matters what knots, not knots, what thoughts think thoughts, what descriptions describe, descriptions, what ties, tie, ties. <laughs> with these stories, we create a cosmopolitics that is all about the living organisms where Ecology and politics are the same thing. And politics and ecology are just the same thing. The land is inhabited by much more complex forms of cosmologies, cosmopolitics, cosmogonies, which means that we need to enhance our forms of living, feeling, practicing, and inhabit it so we can start to pay attention differently so then our stories change our theology that change our worship services that change our stories that change our theology that change our worship services
1: <laughs>
0: rituals like story produce ways of thinking and feeling and being then help us become with other species and create different worlds we can all live Stories, like rituals, can tell us forms of redemptions that are understood as restoration and regeneration. That's redemption. Tyson Port tells us about, we need ca- cautionary stories, and I bring the story from indigenous thinker Winona LaDuke. Do you know if you know her from Canada? She says the prophecy of the seventh fire. We... As Nishanabe people would have a choice between two paths one path they say would be well worn but it would be scorched the other path they say would be well worn it would be green it would be our choice upon which patch to embark and every day you and me are choosing the path that we are deciding to walk Concluding, my friends, respectful observation, says Junka Porta, and interaction within systems, within parts and the connections between, a, uh, between them is the only way to see the pattern. You cannot know any part, let alone the whole, without respect. You cannot come to knowledge without it. Each part, each person is dignified as an embodiment of knowledge. Respect must facilitate, be facilitated by custodians. But there is no outsider imposed authority, no boss, no domination. So then I wonder, how do we do this? How do we understand Christian worship from the perspective of respect? To worship God is to honor. To worship, the word worship is to honor, to give worth, and to give respect to God. If the heart of Christianity is love, as we say, then we need to entangle this love with thoughts and practices of worship that leads with others with respect. If worship is about loving madly and being loved madly, the love of God and our love to God and neighbors, then we have to expand this understanding. Then I go back to St. Augustine chapter 10, Confessions where he asks these questions, what do I love when I love my God? What do I love when I love my God? This question is fundamentally a question of respect. What do I respect when I, respect, when I love my God? What do I respect when I respect my God? This notion paired with the notion of crossing as a method mentioned at the beginning, Crossing is the method of letting go in order to allow the encounter to happen. What is it that we need to let go in order for other encounters to happen? For a long time, I thought that the love of God was love for humankind. It rarely crossed my mind that the love of God will be love. Never thought about that. Topsoil, mountain forests, oceans. It never crossed my mind. And, and then I started to realize, no, not until recently, John 3.16, we all know by heart, right? If you know, you should. For God so loved the world. What world is it? Never thought about that, right? What world are we talking about? The world to abandon until we wait for Jesus coming? The world as human souls lost and hoping for to be rescued? Oh my goodness, I start to see that the world is about all the living beings that God so loved. And then everything starts to change and I was crossed. I was crossed. And then I remember that happened to me something that came from the literature from this Brazilian writer. Uh, that wrote, Grande Sertão Veredas, Guimarães e Rosa. And I thought that we always think that things are either at the beginning or at the end, right? That you're waiting for us. And he says, No. He says, Ah, there is a repetition. It always happens other, always happens other times in my life. I go through things, and he says, And in the middle of the way I don't see. I was only entertained by the ideas of the places of departure and arrival. It's not where you're going to be. Not the church that you're going to go. It's what's crossing your path right now. So if you go home, and if you have to say, what is it right now that is crossing my path? That is changing me right now. What is it? I'm not gonna go and give you an altar call, but I could. <laughs> what do I love when I love my God? What do I respect when I respect my God? And then the neighbors. Oh, God, love with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbors, but now my neighbors got so much complicated. Not only you is you but let little mice out there or or, or the, the flowers or the bushes or or the birds or the clouds or too many neighbors. We are never alone. So how how am I gonna love God now when COVID is taking away our ability to breathe? How can we breathe together? So I have this exercise that I give to my students, and I'm about to change. Using your senses, what is around you? What relations and patterns, second thing, what relations and patterns are there? And third, what are the forms of life that comes out of those patterns? We could go more into that, but I'm going to stop here. And I'm going to show you something about this Ethiopian church. That pretty much, these three days could have just been these nine minutes. And so let's uh, sit this nine minutes, and that's it.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it should be in the fall, so. It should be I where the sound is talking about. Other years ago, the island was one big group in the forest. That big country's forest has been eaten up by It is the church who has protected these forests and who has safeguarded them from destruction. It's only because of the patronage and the blessing of the church these forests have survived. Church forests are always in my childhood memories. I used to go with my family for Sunday mass, for holidays have been always told that God gives mercy when you pray here. So, the spiritual connectivity is so strong. The more I study them, the more I understand them, the more I see their problem, their importance, their significance, and then I end up being hooked with this forest, you know. the school niet zoals wankh my friend though from trying to defendant to something wrong of course is not the The idea of making a wall to conserve the forest came from the church itself. If you see the rural church, they have a wall to protect the inner circle, which people think that's the most sacred place. So let's move that wall to the outside and include the forest as part of the church itself. We are making a barrier, not excluding humans, a barrier against cattle grazing so that regeneration and the health of the forest can be sustained. The church has been protecting the forest for centuries. But the forest, in turn, has been a guardian. It was a kind of mutual benefiting. The church itself were built from this forest. The inner wall of the church has been painted And all those pictures, scriptures and murals were made out of tree, leaves, roots, barks and flowers 800, 700, even 1,000 years ago. They are living by one another. They are embedded to one another. The church is within the forest. The forest is inside the church. In an ecological term, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. There are millions of other creatures. There is so complicated, sophisticated interaction you cannot explain. Because of the coexistence, there is what we call emergent property. It's a new hybrid character. The mystery is to think beyond what we see. There is a problem always, a misperception that this forest would stay forever. We don't have any other backup to safeguard the Ethiopian biodiversity. It is only the church forest. If we lose that, then that's all. <laughs> The biggest challenge is to open the eyes of the community to shop these forests are really disappearing. They think always they are there forever. The church forests are the blueprint. You can understand what kind of ecosystem, what kind of biodiversity, what kind of forest we had before. Everything is important and interlinked. So if you really care, we have to respect trees, the role of trees, and we have to learn to live with forests. We can bring back the landscape given that these church forests exist. That's my hope, that's my vision.
0: That's colonization. And that's the small fragments of life that's still alive. And we are becoming like that everywhere. How can we make those lives in these small places to sustain and give conditions and possibilities for them to grow? They say the church is in the forest and the forest is in the church. If we lose the forest, we lose the church. I wish that would be in our confession of faith. If we lose the forest, we lose our faith. If we lose the rivers, we lose God. If we lose the bird, we lose the Holy Spirit. But we can start in small things with what we have until you realize that your long johns can become the, the body of some other friends. Thank you for this time
1: together, my friends. Blessings.